to join us tonight for segment three of this four-part workshop on the COVID-19 pandemic and how it's impacting our churches and what we're learning about that. Uh, I want to thank the GA office staff again for their outstanding help, in particular Zenaida Bermudez, who's been working with me on this and uh, just really appreciate all the help that they've been on this. Uh, those of you who've been with us before know the drill. Uh, we start each week um, with a presentation from one of the team members, and then uh, we'll have a time of discussion among the small church planning team, and uh, then we'll open it up for general discussion around some of the questions that have come up during that time. And you've come in muted, and the reason for that is because we want to eliminate the ambient noise that we usually get when you have a bunch of people coming in uh, who are live. And uh, when we get to the discussion time, uh, you can uh, ask a question in two different ways. One way, the primary way, is to use the chat feature down at the bottom of your screen. If you take your cursor down and hover there, there's a chat uh, icon, and you can click on that and uh, submit a question, and we'll make sure the, the team has an opportunity to uh, in, engage with that. And the other way is to raise your hand. Uh, and there's another feature that if you go to the participants and find your name, you can raise your hand. So if you have the list of participants, if you click on that thing on the bottom that says Manage Participants, and uh, it'll bring up a list and you can find your name and there's a little cue there for raising your hand. This is being recorded and uh, any notes that uh, are generated will be sent to you in a subsequent email. So I wanna acknowledge the team again. I'm just so grateful for the work that they've uh, put into this and helping uh, to put this together. So uh, Josh Mazinski from uh, the Mid-Atlantic uh, Presbytery, Doug Walker from Florida, uh, Brian Evans from the Midwest Presbytery, Scott Downing from the Southwest Pacific, uh, Ed McCallum, former assistant stated clerk and with World Outreach, and Zach S. Wine from Mid-America. And I am Roy Yankee, uh, ruling elder in the Midwest Presbytery. And again, we hope that there are a couple things you take away from this, not only the information that's shared, which is really important around the topic, but that you can see uh, this as an opportunity for greater ministry impact, even though we've been stuck in this pandemic. The other thing is just that sense of solidarity, that connection that we have with one another. We're in this together. We're working through this together. And uh, the Church of Jesus Christ is alive and well despite COVID-19. Amen? Everybody nod your head, even those who don't have uh, their screens on. <laughs> All right. Uh, tonight, we're going to turn to a tricky and prickly subject, one that's always a challenge, and that is money and giving. The, the economic impact of the pandemic has not passed the church by. Tonight, we're gonna to look at and explore uh, what that impact looks like for you, as well as what the future uh, might hold. We're gonna talk about the importance of deciding how, we're, how we assess our options in this regard and how we're gonna measure church vitality going forward because uh, giving and money has always been one of those things, even as hard as we try, that's uh, been a part of the metrics that we've used. So what do, does that change going forward based on what we're experiencing now? 
Brian Kluth, is the NA, who is the NAA Director of Financial Health, has worked with a number of national organizations and ministries to conduct an online poll of church leaders to gauge the economic impact of the pandemic. The poll indicates that about six out of 10 churches have seen a drop in giving. In the United Methodist Church, uh, in the first quarter of this year, they report a $3.2 million drop in giving uh, among their churches. And at the same time, some churches are holding their own. You know, they're not doing too badly during this time. So the next few months are going to really tell the story uh, of the church for many of us and what the impact of this is really going to have. So tonight I'm pleased to introduce our uh, primary speaker, our presenter, uh, Doug Walker, uh, River City Church pastor in DeBerry, Florida. Uh, he is also my former pastor and a dear friend, and I'm glad that uh, he is here tonight and he's going to uh, present for us. And I have to find him in the list and unmute him. So just hang on one second. There you are. All right, there you go, Doug. Glad you could do this for us tonight. So the screen is yours. Good to be with you. Can you hear me okay? Yep. Good. Um, the uh, topic was introduced by Roy as prickly and difficult. So I'm not sure. Um, can I take a pass on it now or is it a little late? No, no passes? Okay. Um, one of the best ways, I think, in which to uh, begin this is from God's Word. And so let me share with you a passage that you may not often turn to when it comes to finances in the church. But uh, once I read it to you, perhaps it will resonate and I'll explain why I've chosen it. It's from the prophet Joel, uh, Joel chapter 1, and uh, I'll read verses 2 through 7 and then, and then 13 and 14 as well. But God's word says this, Hear this, you elders, give ear all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep. And wail, all you drinkers of wine, because the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. And then down to verse 13. Put on sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in, pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, because grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. This is God's word from the prophet Joel. And it paints a really grim picture of four different types of locusts absolutely devastating the land and laying it bare. So bare that the drunks became sober because there was no wine to drink. So everything was gone. 
And in the midst of this famine, God says, consecrate a fast. And I cannot think of a more ludicrous uh, thing to do in the middle of a famine than to consecrate a fast. But here's what's important about this passage. In a famine, you're looking for food. And in a fast, you're looking for God. And I think the same thing holds true for us today. In a financial crisis, you're looking for money and for ways in which to procure money and to sustain your finances in your church. But in reality, we should be looking for the Lord, just like in the time of Joel. So um, in a financial crisis, we don't look for money. We look for God. And I, I hope that if there's nothing else that you carry away from this time this evening, it's that principle, that in the end, it's not necessarily about the money. It is about our faithfulness. It is about pursuing God with all that we have and trusting that he will provide. Now, in the midst of this, it is extremely difficult to navigate when funds are low, when staff needs to be laid off, when you're not sure if you're going to get paid or your church is going to make it. So there are very real uh, dilemmas and, and struggles and crises going on here. And I don't want to ignore that, but I do want to make certain that we understand that everything in the heavens and earth belongs to the Lord. And with that as our starting place, I want to take perhaps a, a closer look. Uh, first of all, what does this impact look like? Roy gave us a few statistics uh, from uh, different denominations and different churches. But the, the fact of the matter is, it's difficult to get uh, a current accurate state of affairs right now because we're, we're not fully into what the financial impact of this crisis will, will look like. We have some short-term data, but we don't necessarily have long-term data. Some churches have experienced up to a 70% reduction in giving, while others, as Roy mentioned, has seen very little impact. Uh, Lifeway Research, which by the way has been a tremendous resource for me and I would, I would commend it to you as well. Um, not only do they provide good information, but they also provide some very practical help that uh, could be of use for you in the future. So Lifeway Research, keep that as a, as a reference point. They're predicting, however, that um, a significant increase in church closures is coming this year and is due primarily to the financial struggle. So these are things that we, we cannot ignore. And so we're gonna to try to address some of them uh, head on tonight. But what I want you to know as well is that I'm no expert in this. I am a fellow sojourner along with you and we are doing our best to, to navigate as a church um, as I know you are too. But everybody is, is at a different place. Uh, depending on where you live, what your local economy looks like, all kinds of different factors. So I thought I would start with um, just sort of a tale of two churches, uh, my church and my friend Brian Evans in Detroit. And Roy, if it's possible for you to unmute uh, Brian, I would like for him to just give us a quick rundown of what the financial impact has been at 5.7 Church in an urban uh, environment for a church plant that hasn't really been going for very long. And so, Brian, if you would take just a few minutes and, 
and tell us what it looks like in your scenario. Yeah, thanks, Doug. Um, as you mentioned, we're a church plant, and so most of our donations come in from support from other churches who financially support us. Uh, thankfully, um, churches have continued their support. However, uh, there's a little uneasiness because, as you said, we don't yet fully know uh, how this is going to affect things moving forward financially. And so there is that, uh, there is that knowledge in the back of my mind that this could affect donations moving forward. So what that has meant for me is that I have to um, kind of reevaluate and reassess how we uh, do things in terms of our budget. So that means that certain things have to be cut back. We have to be as lean as possible because there's some uncertainty. We don't, we don't know what uh, donations are going to look like in the future. Also, it's, uh, it's a very... Um, it's a difficult thing for a church planter because one of the responsibilities of a church planter is that a church planter is constantly fundraising. And uh, right now is not the best time in the world to be calling churches asking for uh, funds. So there's uncertainty, but what it has meant for us is that we have to kind of reevaluate um, what's essential, uh, what's not so essential. Um, and so we have to kind of be smart in how we um, operate with our budget because we don't know what's coming in the future. As far as our giving, we, um, we our internal giving among our members in our church plant, uh, surprisingly, our giving has actually gone up. Uh, we were able to um, set up uh, PayPal online and uh, our members have been uh, increased their giving, which has been a great uh, encouragement to me. The one downside to that is some of our less tech savvy uh, members have not been able to participate. And so we've had to try to come up with other ways to, to, to get around that. But um, yeah, so that's, that's pretty much what it's been like on my end. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Um, at my church, uh, we're very different than Brian's. We started out as a rural congregation, uh, we're 65 years old. And we began as a rural congregation and now have become a suburban congregation because um, the city has expanded out toward us. So we're, we're more of a bedroom community to Orlando. And our congregation is much older. And um, a lot of them are on fixed incomes. So for some of them, the, the giving didn't change much at all. Our giving in general has, is down between 15 and 20%. And that is primarily because of uh, the working folk in our congregation have um, really cut back on their giving during this time. Will they be able to return if, if uh, they secure jobs? Maybe. Will, will, what will their job situation look like? We don't know. Um, but, but right now, we have not made any drastic changes in our personnel. Um, our small staff has remained the same. We've been able to, to make payroll. We've been able to, to carry on essentially as normal. But as Brian said, looking ahead, we are really scratching our head trying to figure out what is down the pike. Our, our context is so dramatically different uh, than Brian's in that uh, we're, we're 
uh, suburban slash rural and, and they're urban and, um, I, and are, we're completely different part of the country as well. And I, and I say this because wherever any of you are located, it's going to, do, it's, it's going to have a big influence what your rate of unemployment is, what it looks like in your, in your congregation, what your finances were before uh, this crisis took hold is all going to play into how this will look going forward. Um, and Brian and mine are just two stories. And, and I wanted to tell both of them because um, everybody is at a different place and there is no way that a one size fits all solution is going to be available to us. So what we can talk about are some principles, but we're, we're not going to be able to give you um, a, a true path to run on and say, take this path and we assure you that you're gonna be able to manage this crisis all the way through. So um, understanding that the, the impact is going to look different in every single church, but there is an impact nonetheless. Let's talk about uh, discerning what the future might hold and how we are gonna assess our options going forward. Last week, Ed McCallum um, brought up uh, an article written by Andy Crouch, where he likened this crisis to a blizzard, a winter, or an ice age. And I think that's a, those are some nice categories in which to think about how we're moving forward. Uh, the blizzard is the hard hitting storm that lasts a short time and does a lot of damage. And I think the reality um, on June the 4th is that the blizzard is about over. We're emerging from that blizzard, but we're still in winter. Um, we're assessing the damage of what the winter, I mean, what the blizzard has done, but, but we're still living in this difficult season. And um, as, as I mentioned, the, the, the blizzard and the severity of the winter will just depend on a number of factors. Your financial condition before the pandemic, your local economy, your church's expenses, your church's reserves. Um, and then the big question, which is what Andy Crouch uh, raises in his article, is the winter going to extend into an ice age? That's anybody's guess. We don't know. Um, but we know where we're at now. We are on the other side of the blizzard, and it has wreaked some serious havoc. Um, the new unemployment figures are out tomorrow, so I don't, I don't know how much uh, further damage we're going to see from that. But I think we all can assess the reality of the significant difficulties and financial impact that this uh, COVID-19 has had on our churches. So with those categories, it helps us understand that this is just not uh, a hard-hitting crisis that we'll move on from. This is something that will have different phases to it. And we need to think about um, those phases and how we will approach each one of them. And I'll, I'll get to that in just a minute. And by the way, um, all of these references, I'll get out to you uh, when I send my notes out. Um, so I, I've got a reference to that uh, article from, from Andy Crouch as well. Um, Josh Laxton in an article in Christianity Today said that there's, there's gonna be short and long-term effects of COVID-19. The short-term effects include operating at anywhere from 50 to 75% of our normal budgets. 
Um, Short-term effects also include rethinking current staffing and reshaping how we talk about money and stewardship in our congregations. And that's just the short-term. The, the long-term effects will be the significant shifts in the way that we handle our finances, like leaner staffs and bivocational ministry and diversifying how we fund our various ministries. So that's just another set of categories that we can look at in terms of where we are now and how we're gonna move forward. I mentioned LifeWay Research a little bit earlier. Uh, Todd McMitchin from LifeWay Research says that the national average is about a 20% decline in giving. And that's based on their research of all churches, not just uh, ordinary or smaller churches. And, and Todd McMitchin says going forward, you must, and I love this statement, you must have the mindset that your entire ministry budget is now a COVID budget. And by that, he simply means there is no part of your church budget that will be unaffected by this um, uh, financial impact of the, of the virus. And that includes some very subtle things. Even if your giving has remained pretty steady, what he's saying implicitly is that you can't keep everything normal. You must seize this opportunity to make necessary changes in the shape and the way you fund your ministries and the way your ministries look moving forward. Um, and he also said something else very powerful. He said, interestingly, despite the downturn in church giving, this has been a season of amazing public generosity. Churches so far have largely missed this uh, public generosity and get this, because we're too busy trying to figure out how to have church on Sunday. And so there are some things that we can learn by the generosity of uh, the nation at large and the way that they're, they're giving to relief efforts and, and, and how they're helping other um, uh, benevolent organizations out. And, and churches in many ways have missed this because we're, just, we're, we're trying to keep all our plates spinning and namely keep having church on Sunday. So um, that's sort of a, um, you know, assessing where we're at and, and how to think of the categories moving forward. But one way that has proven very helpful to me personally, um, when it comes to assessing what it's gonna take to move forward and how to adequately plan for the future, even when we don't know what the future holds for us. And that's this idea of scenario planning. And scenario planning has all kinds of different aspects to it um, in the business world. But when it comes to the church, scenario planning simply means, what if we sat down as church leadership, as staff and sessions, and painted several different pictures of the way things could work out? And we talked about them right now in prayerful and thoughtful ways, instead of making a strategic plan and trying to carry out that strategic plan regardless of the way things work out in the future. And scenario planning makes us inherently more flexible and it gives us the opportunity to face difficult decisions head on before we have to make them with emotion um, or in distress. So, Let's use the categories from Andy Crouch of a, of a blizzard and a winter and 
uh, possibly an ice age. And make those our three scenarios. Now you can, you can do all kinds of things with, with scenario planning. You could, you could do best case, worst case, middle of the road, however you wanna divide it up. Paint for yourself at least two and preferably three different scenarios about the way things might look in your church and then approach them in a prayerful, discerning way that allows you to have good conversation without the urgency of having to make a decision today. So if this pandemic is, is just limited to this blizzard and we begin to level out and, and we have only a small change in our overall financial picture, how will we move forward? Well, one of the conversations you can have with your session is uh, we need to resist the urge to return to normal and, and instead seize the opportunity to bring about change, uh, no matter how small, to, to look at ministry in a different way and to reevaluate the way in which we have been uh, going about ministering uh, in our congregation, in our community. If the effects of the pandemic extend into a winter season, this would be sort of or the second phase, then consider changing fundamental aspects of your ministry, like what programs are we going to eliminate and never talk about bringing back? How are we gonna restructure our staff and reduce it and make it leaner? How are we going to use our facilities differently? And this may mean taking a harder look at whether or not the pastor should seek bivocational work. And then thirdly, if, if the changes brought about by COVID become uh, an ice age, uh, creating deep and, and lasting financial difficulties, then you will face very difficult and very emotional decisions. And I think this is where scenario planning provides the most help. To talk about the tough decisions before they need to be made allows you to, to consider them thoughtfully and prayerfully. To stare down your worst case scenario ahead of time makes it far less daunting than when it arrives at your doorstep, should it arrive at your doorstep. I have done this many times at the, in, in the past, and, and Roy can even attest to this. And, and it's interesting how the conversation takes a bit of a different shape when you start it with, okay, what if we have to close our doors? What if we need to combine our church with another congregation? To do that, when the bank account is at zero and the members are confused is a very, very difficult conversation. To have that long before it ever, or if it ever happens, is sometimes a very edifying and freeing conversation. So that's what scenario planning is. Just put these potential scenarios before your session, talk about them openly, pray about them, and you will have for yourself a toolkit, a resource to fall back on and say, well, we didn't expect to be here, but you know what? We've talked about this. We've gone through this. We've prayed about this. We've sought the Lord's wisdom and discernment in this. And now we're going to go through with this, regardless of, of where you're at in your scenario planning. The, the next uh, question or area that I want to address is, is how does this impact church vitality. We've talked a little bit about this in the past. And, and I want to just remind us that a loss of money does not mean a loss of calling for the pastor or for the church. It simply means a new normal. And that new normal is, 
is a new normal that you get to help shape. So that's, a, that's an advantage in many ways. We must remember the church is not defined by where it meets, but by where it ministers. So those hard conversations about, about having to reconsider facility or reconsider staff or reconsider all kinds of things doesn't one bit change God's call on you and on your church. It simply means that there's, there's, there's a different way now that you're going to have to go about it. And we mentioned this uh, last week as well. Maybe it is time to change some of your metrics when it comes to measuring your church's vitality. And one of the great ways to start that conversation in your church is um, actually brought forth by Jim Collins, who wrote the book Good to Great. He also wrote a real small compendium to that called Good to Great and the Social Sector, which is basically for nonprofits and for churches. And I love the distinction that he makes. He says, we must distinguish between inputs and outputs when we determine vitality and success. Um, inputs should not be used to measure vitality. Outputs should be measured to, to indicate vitality. What are the inputs to a church? Typically, and very simply, the inputs are people resources and financial resources, and sometimes building resources. The outputs, on the other hand, are changed lives, are revitalized communities, all brought about by the power of the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's essential that we begin to measure the outputs for our vitality and not how many people and how much money we have. And so um, I know, and, and this is a difficult and, and a long-term thing, it is very difficult to measure the change in lives and the revitalization in communities and the work of the gospel and the coming of the kingdom, they, they are not easily put on a spreadsheet. And I know that. But I know also that when you begin to pay attention to these things and, and stop using people and money as your measurements of vitality, some seismic shifts will happen in your congregation. The last question that I at least want to touch on before we bring it to the panel is um, what is the impact on your role as a pastor? And um, I'll, I'll say this, nothing changes in your job description because of the financial impact. You still preach the word, you still administer the sacraments, and you still shepherd your flock. But you also need to support your family and to pay your bills. And so do the members of your congregation. So my only advice to you is be honest with your session and be honest with your congregations about where you're at. One of the most important things a leader can do during this time is to define reality. If it stinks, say so. If you're sad or you're struggling or you're grieving, then admit it. Honest lament is biblical. Honest lament is healthy and honest lament leads us to the promise of our Savior Jesus Christ in John 16. In this world, we will have trouble, but take heart, for he has overcome the world. And I know for some of you in your congregations, um, it's tough to, to be that vulnerable, but you've got to find someone to be vulnerable with, and, and preferably uh, someone else in, in leadership or a fellow pastor, because 
this, um, this COVID-19 and the impact it's having in so many ways, some that we've already talked about and financial in particular is, is far reaching. And if, if you're going through it, I guarantee you the pastor down the street's going through it. And I guarantee your session's thinking about it and your congregation's wondering what the church is thinking. And um, I can tell you from my own ministry, opening up and being as honest as possible is a very freeing and a very healthy thing to do in your churches. So I'm going to hit the pause button and turn it back over to Roy now. Thanks, Doug. Uh, lots of good stuff here for us to chew on and appreciate uh, those inputs. And, and I, uh, I, I have benefited from your input. So I, I think we have at Grace Chapel. Um, so I'm going to throw it open now to, to the planning team. And uh, just want to ask, uh, <clears throat> Brian's already shared and Doug's already shared. So Josh and Zach and, and Ed, maybe if you have a, a feel for where things are at, uh, where, where you are, uh, what, what has been the financial impact so far? What does it look like uh, in your situation right now? Um, and maybe Josh, you want to lead off on that and we'll just kind of circle around and, and jump in on that. Sure. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's funny talking with small group leaders about when COVID was happening, you know, it's like, Oh, well, what could happen? Finances are going to get stressed. People are going to, you know, be out of their minds and we're going to be dealing with uh, a lot of crisis on a daily weekly basis. And I think somebody said, that sounds like Wednesday in the small church <laughs> and to a degree. Yeah. That's um, things are kind of feel like they always do. Money is um, for our church. We're, we're down a little bit in giving, um, but we're, we're kind of, we're still making it. Um, I think a big question that I, I'm asking myself, especially after what Doug just said, is uh, looking at, at the scenario of, of, of COVID and just thinking, um, what does a COVID budget look like? And does it, and maybe does, you know, half the things we have on our budget say, wow, next year, maybe that could be great. But this year, we've got to really reconsider a lot of things that we're, we're, we're planning to use our finances on because the needs are going to just be completely different this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Zach, any thoughts on that? <clears throat> well, at the moment we're a bit baffled because our giving is up and we're not, not sure what to make of that, <laughs> but uh, we're giving thanks. And we remember the 2008 recession recession where, we didn't know if we were going to make it. We, um, and I think, I think the encourage the what's the help here? The I think the, I think the help has been the core of these elders went through that 2008 time when we, we didn't know what we were going to do, and I think because of that, they haven't panicked maybe, or something. It, maybe it's the they've they've been to this game before or something so so uh right now we're giving thanks uh we have done a couple of changes we've instituted online giving which we didn't have before and we have also um created budget scenarios of if we were to lose um uh 
15% uh, of our giving, 30% of our giving, uh, what would we need to do in light of those scenarios? So we do, we do have that uh, going on and um, yeah. Okay, thanks. Uh, Ed or, or Brian, I don't know, Brian, if you wanna jump in a little more. Either you guys have anything to add to that in terms of what it might look like right now for you guys <laughs> situations? Uh, we're, uh, the reports uh, from uh, our church here in the Phoenix area says that they're doing well. Uh, interestingly, it's a church uh, primarily of people with fixed incomes, so that's probably one of the reasons why it's doing well. Uh, another, so the uh, the big wave of unemployment hasn't really affected the, the congregation. Uh, they were able to to get a small business loan. Uh, so that, that has helped, and in fact, they've added a staff member, interestingly enough. Uh, the, um, uh, this is a congregation that uh, does not respond to online giving. Uh, in fact, their, the session here has said, no, we're not going to do that because people don't like it, and a lot of them are, are they're, they're concerned about it. They are not tech-savvy enough to do it, uh, uh, but... So anyway, uh, they've just encouraged people to set up electronic giving, uh, you know, e-checks, and that's that seems to have uh, have gone well. Uh, I was so I was thinking about this session, uh, a a book that I read some time back. It's one of my favorite books on the small church. Came to mind. It's uh, called it's called Small Strong Congregations. Small Strong Congregations by Keenan Callahan. Uh, he has two chapters that, to me, are worth the price of the book. Uh, one is on mission, and the other is on giving. And uh, he <clears throat> he talks about six sources of giving. And uh, I think especially in this kind of a time when we're looking at, you know, things are changing, probably a good idea to uh, examine, uh, to, uh, to look at this chapter on giving, I look together as a leadership, uh, he says there are six sources or six gates or six doors for giving. Uh, how many of those doors are open to people? Uh, and uh, uh, I can list the six, but I can maybe better just to, I'm not sure. Anyway, you can look at the book, but uh, uh, if you want to know the six, I can list them off to you. But as I... Uh, I look at the church I pastored uh, in previous years. Uh, we probably had two or three out of the six that were open. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's probably time to look and say, all right, are there some creative ways that we can call on people to give? Because as someone said earlier, there is there is an attitude of charity right now. Among those who can give, there is a, a generous heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I was going to ask the question, um, and you know, what what are some creative ways? Have we have we ex discovered any creative ways to uh, you know explore some of those those doors that maybe we haven't thought about before? Um, anybody finding anything creative popping out of the woodwork during this time in terms of how people are choosing to give? Uh, one question that came up is is what's the best online giving platform, and, and what's the cost of that? And uh, I don't know that I have an answer for the best online giving platform, but um, maybe you guys could share real quick uh, what, if you're using it, what are you using? Roy, I'll tell you uh, um, real quick, we're not using it, but in my, um, 
reading about LifeWay Research and, and being, and by the way, I, I can't uh, compliment them enough. LifeWay Research has been doing some good things through this, so they're a great resource. But at one time, I, I think they're still doing it, they were providing a free platform for online giving. And the only cost associated with it was um, credit card fees. So um, I, I don't know, but check out LifeWay uh, for sure, because at one time they were offering the, the opportunity to uh, host online giving for free. Yeah, I think that is still in place. I think I did see that not too long ago. We're using PayPal right now, and the reason we're using it is one, it's familiar for folks. Um, they know they know the name, uh, which we just started using it in the past three months. And uh, but also, and, and this is a as we did our research, this is a critical piece. I think if you're looking at this, um, the reason we went with PayPal is our our treasurer is comfortable with it and is comfortable tracking all of the donations by hand. If you don't have somebody that's going to do that, you still need to issue out your uh, end of the year statements. And so something like Tidely, a program like that, that will track those for you. Um, it's not that much more, but it will potentially save you a nightmare in tracking and giving. Okay. Yeah. Good. Do you feel like, uh, let me just throw this out there, and maybe Brian, you could kick this off. In, in relation to this, because there, there has been such a challenge, I think levels of comfortableness with, with uh, e-giving, online giving, different method, methods of supporting the church. Um, do you think that, is there a possibility, and I don't know, do you think the possibility exists that people might step their giving up on the other side of this? or? Is that just a is that just wishful thinking? Yeah, that's hard to say. Um, I know in 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 my case, it seems that people have stepped their giving up now during the time that we've been away from church, um, and I I, I kind of think that one of the reasons for that, as I try to think about why is that, I believe there's a sense in which this is a way our people is showing their commitment to seeing the church survive this. It, it's their faith coming through. And so it's, this is one way, you know, we're isolated in our homes, but this is one way that people can show their love for the church and their desire to see the church uh, be what God wants it to be. And so I, I anticipate that because there are some people who have not been able to participate in giving because they're not tech savvy and they're not familiar with how to use PayPal and things of that nature. And um, I do anticipate that there will be some of those people who will be ready to up their giving because they, they haven't been able to uh, in some cases. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Doug, you brought up some really good points. I wanted to touch back on some of these. Um, I think that the scenario planning is a is a really big deal for us during this time. Um, and engaging in that uh, can be, as you said, the outcome can be a freeing experience, but it can also be a challenge to get your head around it and enter into it. So, you know, what what I'll start with you and, and then others can jump in on the just feel free to jump in on this. 
what did you do to lay the groundwork for this? How did you prepare your elders, your session to engage in that process? That's a good question. I think that um, there was a readiness anyway. I, I think there was, everybody's asking, where is this going? And, and what, what can we expect? And, and perhaps more importantly, is there anything that we can do to, to be ready? So even if no one's asking that overtly, people are thinking about what, what tomorrow is going to bring. And only the Lord knows this. So that's the way I began. Only the Lord knows. Um, and we may start down a path and we may have to shift gears and make a left turn. And we, you know, this could be a bumpy and circuitous uh, path. So what can we do um, to be more thoughtful and prayerful rather than reactionary? And, and that, that was an easy way to enter into it. That, and then I said, you know, let's, let's paint some pictures. You know, Zach mentioned that they did it with their budgets as well. And, um, what we have found is that it's not just about finances. You, you get into all kinds of other fears and um, ideas of what church needs to look like. And, um, and trust me, those are better conversations to have with, um, without something looming that you're pressed to make a decision on. And so that, that's kind of, I, I think inherently people are ready to talk about that. Your leaders are ready. Yeah. So Zach, when you did that, uh, anything come out that uh, you, you found helpful in leading them into that? I think if, uh, if, you can, if you can have meetings in which you're not making a decision prior to the meeting you're going to make the decision, then that would allow everyone to discuss without feeling the pressure they have to solve it right then. And so if if it was possible to have two or three um, times devoted to this and you're just saying out loud you know what here's what we're going to talk about and there's no nothing's on the line right now we're we're not going to make a decision on this you know for at least another and however long you name it but that'll free us up we can just talk and no no uh no ideas off limits. Anyway, whatever you, however you do that, I, I've been trying to learn that. I think it helps a long way. Uh, sometimes our, our meetings are at the end of a long day or really early in the morning. Sometimes uh, if they're at the end of a long day, um, our, our leaders are already tired. And, and so if, uh, number one, we can have no surprises. They've seen the material ahead of time. And number two, when they come in, they're not making a decision that night. Uh, that can go a long way to helping people relax um, and be willing to engage prayerful brainstorming and consideration of different pathways. Yeah, good. <clears throat> good. Good. I was checking my memory here and I just I thought I had uh, I came across what I uh, it was so was pleased to see my memory was right. Um, if any of the folks listening here are uh, feel like they need some help in setting up some online giving, I know the finance department of the General Assembly has helped uh, see your 31 churches to do online giving for the first time. So there's uh, there's some help 
looks like there's some help available from the um, uh, General Assembly office as well. Great. Good. Good to have those resources. So how difficult is it, um, as, as you guys have talked about that, and you're thinking about this, whether you're teaching elder, ruling elder on session, how, how difficult is it to have the conversations around, about reassessing the budget? Um, what's, uh, I, I love the idea, Doug, that you let off with in terms of, in times of uncertainty, it has to be, uh, the focus has to be on the Lord and not on the crisis, not on the money. That's really where our focus needs to be. How, how do we, how do we do that? How do we reassess our, our ministries well and discerningly in the light of that, that, that kind of a focus? Um, have you guys done any preaching? Have you done any Bible studies? What, what have you done to, to set that, that table that way? Well, it's interesting because I don't think that the, um, I don't think that so far this pandemic and the financial impact of that pandemic, as, as Josh had indicated a little bit earlier, it, it's kind of the normal because uh, um, all small churches at some level struggle with finances. Um, and so this is, this is not new territory, but um, what you come to find is that uh, your session is made up of a diverse group of people and your, um, your business leaders are going to go in one direction and um, other people are going to go in, you know, so you're, you're always going to have a variety of viewpoints when it comes to staffing, finances, some of the, um, what, what I, what I just call the nuts and bolts, because a, a, a lot of um, my elders approach this very pragmatically and say, listen, this is, this is how much we have in the bank. This is what it costs for payroll. Somebody's got to go. And, it, you know, you, you enter into a conversation like that. And you, you, so those guys, you have to notch down a little bit, say, okay, let's take a deep breath before we do anything. Um, but then uh, on the other hand, there's those that uh, would, uh, see the church go bankrupt before they could ever see a person uh, let go from from a staffing position or their or adjust their pastor's salary, and that's the beauty of the church. And I think this is part of what I got to near the end. This is where um, this is where it's not about finances anymore. It's about all right, folks. How are you understanding? our mission as uh, a gospel church what what the you know the decisions that we're making that are quote unquote internal are are really uh, helping define how we're making decisions to be uh, the presence of the lord in our community and and what it looks like to be a missional congregation so um i i, I always try to extend it to to uh, something more far-reaching. We're not just making a decision about an employee or about cutting a program or about uh, a, sh a shortfall. This is this is always a discussion about how we see our church as a mission outpost for the kingdom, and um, so that that's part of my strategy is is to always take these little decisions and make sure that they understand what we're doing with the small stuff is what we're going to do with the big stuff, 
what we're doing internally is the what we're projecting externally as well. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's part of my approach. Yeah. Josh, any thoughts on that? You know, th there is a, an enormous importance, I think, in, in, in levering your gifts in the session. Um, and I know for us, I, I've got one or two people that they are, when we get to the, the money talks, they're my go-tos. And they're not my go-tos because they're so wise. They're my go-tos because they're so trusted. Um, they're the kind of people that, that, that I just know our community, the second they open their mouth, wisdom is going to be perceived. Um, and so I'm, I'm always, and I won't say behind the scenes, um, but to some degree saying, I, I, hey, will you think about this a little bit? I think this is going to be a discussion coming up. And I just think you're really gifted in knowing how to talk about this because uh, I'm not. And, and, and once again, kind of being in a smaller Southern church, uh, the culture is, is the pastor doesn't touch the money. And, 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 and so I, I really try to keep a, a very honest distance um, from some of those conversations. Uh, but that be, being said, I, I know my folks who are, are really great with those conversations as well. Um, and and it, it, maybe it's just a beautiful gift to have in the church, but knowing those people who, who know how to really sometimes catalyze giving even in your church and to Doug's point of just saying, reminding people, this is why we're here. And this is what we're, what we're committed to do. And they, they can do more to themselves than I could ever do as, as the pastor. And, and I think that taps into that small church model where, you know, there are those voices that have just an enormous amount of authority in your church. Um, you don't want to use them, but you do want to, I think, utilize them. Mm -hmm. Good. Great point. Yeah. So I want to shift gears just slightly here and, and um, take it to, uh, to the issue of um, how this has impacted those who are teaching elders, those who are, are um, pastors in our churches. Um, how, how are you affected as you consider these things? And uh, one question that came up was uh, that somebody was asking was, um, you know, th th when people ask you about the money, uh, and the financial situation in the church, and you know, are we going to be able to continue to pay you as a pastor? Uh, and you want to be positive about that, and, and especially if the giving hasn't fallen off that much, you know, uh, you don't you don't want to discourage people or or give a false impression. How do you handle those kinds of conversations? So, in those kinds of scenes, uh, you know, how has this affected you? You know, as a pastor, um, in in knowing the full scope and what could possibly be. And Brian, maybe you want to kick this off on that one. Yeah. Um, something Doug said was so true. He said, um, for, for those of us in small churches, uh, this, this isn't anything new. And that's especially true for a church planter because um, I've had to have many conversations with my oversight committee um, about what do we do if we don't raise enough funds to meet budget next year. And so um, I've had to think about that. Wow, what if I have to, um, what, what will that look like? 
But you know, one thing that really encouraged me um, when we, I had a meeting at the end of the year last year with my oversight committee, and we looked at the amount of money that was necessary to raise in order to meet our budget for 2020. And one of the, uh, one of the uh, elders on the oversight committee, he said, no matter what, we can't let 5.7 fail. And his thinking in that was he, he recognizes how much the gospel is needed in the community that I am in. And uh, he saw 5.7 as, as something that was needed as a gospel presence and a gospel witness in that community. And so it became more than just about how do we raise money. It, it became about getting behind God's mission, getting behind God's work. And, and so I think that these discussions, what it, what it has done for me is it has helped me to realize that, as Doug said, this is not about money. It's about God. It's about the mission. And the thing is, um, the money that we needed to raise at that moment, which seemed like a big number, uh, we made it up in a quick amount of time. And I think that was because of the prayer that went into it, because we did realize that, hey, this is, this is a mission that needs to go on. And this is about the gospel. It's about reaching people in a, in a hurting community. And so we poured a lot of prayer into that and God answered our prayer. And so for me, the strange thing is uh, these situations have taught me to lean on God more. It, I tell you, being a, being a church planter in a small church, uh, it does wonders for the prayer life. <laughs> right, right. It's good. Yeah. I think, Roy, um, and I've had this conversation with, with one dear member of our church here. And um, I think what we have to be careful of is not to enter into a conversation that sounds like a transactional economy conversation. And by that, I simply mean um, uh, I'm hired to do a job as a pastor for this church and I am paid X amount. And um, I think I said a little bit earlier, a loss of funds does not mean a loss of calling. And so we, we have to keep that in perspective. And one of the ways in which I reassured this person was, listen, I'm called to this church to be your pastor. If that means that I need to drive an Uber uh, to make some ends meet from my standpoint, then I'll figure that out. But uh, the important thing is that I'm called to be your pastor. Not the, the, it's not a transactional thing. This is not me stepping up to a job description and um, fulfilling all the check marks in the job description so I get paid this week. This is, uh, this is something vastly different from that. So I think we have to change the conversation from, from a transactional conversation to a calling conversation. Hmm. Hmm. I think um, not everyone's in a position to do so, but you know, when we're doing the scenario planning, if you can, you know, lead the way with the sacrifice. So it, it's difficult for elders or mm -hmm. planning teams to suggest to you that we might have to reduce your salary by, you know, 3% or 5% or 10% or something while they're trying to look at an overall thing. And not every situation's trustworthy. So it, you know, you know your own context, but if you're in a position in which you could lead by example, 
you can say, listen, guys, um, I realize, you know, we're going to need to reduce my salary. And uh, if we're asking other people to reduce theirs, or if we're having to cut um, some type of ministry um, I, in the smallest, even if it's the smallest way, if there's some way like, like was just being said, I'll drive Uber, you know, that goes a long way. I guess I'm just echoing what was just said. It goes a long way. Uh, besides just trying to be, have integrity ourselves. It also communicates trust to folks. And I guess we, you know, on occasion, we'll have, you might have someone on your team that hears you say that and says, all right, pastor, let's take it off. You know, and they're, they're ready. <laughs> they're ready to remove your salary. So yeah. I know, I know that can happen. So I don't mean this tritely, uh, but, but most folks hear that and they want to do what they can not to have to do that. Uh, mm -hmm. And what it communicates to them is you're in it with them. And so if you can find small ways to do that, I think that goes a long way. And how that, I think the original question was, what's that like for you? I think that's a, that's a prayerful time of counting the cost internally. If, if we're, if we're having to, scenario plan with our church's budget that means we have to scenario plan with my my home family budget and yeah so mm -hmm. it makes you feel that you know yeah let me, let me come at this from a little bit different perspective uh serving with world outreach uh we are able to pay our bills and uh do our uh and also our ministry expenses because of the generosity of churches and individuals. And uh, I, I know not every one of our World Outreach family is, uh, is in the same situation, but uh, thus, thus far, we have just been very thankful and amazed that uh, our giving has, uh, has remained constant. Uh, and interestingly, uh, what, what that does for us is that because we are, my wife and I are, U.S.-based, and a great deal of our ministry expense uh, is traveling overseas to our training sites uh, for, as we train uh, Christian leaders in other countries. Uh, we're not spending money on tickets, so we, we get the chance to be creative about, okay, we've got some money that was going to go for tickets. How are we going to help our, uh, our partners overseas? So, but what I'm, uh, in terms of the small church context, the, it's always been amazing to me to, uh, if, you, if you measure uh, the generosity of churches by per capita giving to missions, see, I think the small church just uh, shines tremendously. If you look at the body of the bottom line dollar amount, maybe not, not as much, but if you look at the per member or per capita giving to missions by small churches, it's, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, some of those, some of you on this call are uh, enabling uh, uh, my wife and I to do what we do with all that reach. And we just are constantly giving thanks for the generosity of individuals and many small churches around the country. So that's uh, uh, in the midst of this, uh, you know, the uncertainties, we have the opportunity to be generous uh, even when there, even when there are uncertain times. Mm -hmm. So, thank you for the generous giving of the individuals and small churches on this call. 
Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and, and it, it could be too that um, one of the interesting things that could come out of this, I know that I've seen examples of this already, is that in cases where families and churches or even pastors have had to take cuts, and, and there is a sense of solidarities. Uh, I agree with Zach. I think the sacrifices sometimes that we make prayerfully and intentionally um, communicate a sense of solidarity with our, our congregations because they're going through the same thing. And um, so I think that's, that can be really, uh, really important. But I, I've also seen where um, we're back to uh, groceries appearing on the porch <laughs> of, of people doing bartering and exchanges and all those kinds of things, which uh, is a not, not a small uh, expression of generosity and care uh, in the congregation. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out you know, uh, whether we get a little more hands-on with our generosity and, and how we express that than just, you know, our typical way of doing it. So uh, we'll see how that goes. I'm going to ask one more question. I'm going to open it up to uh, all of you if you have questions about anything we've talked about here. Remember, you can use the chat box, or if you need to, you can raise your hand. Uh, that feature is there. Um, so, Doug, when you were talking about this, you talked in this, uh, the idea of calling uh, and and recognizing that this is about calling and not about the money, but just uh, I'm just going to throw this out there, y'all. How how do you do ministry on 50% of your budget? <laughs> how do you do ministry on 50 50% of your budget? Anybody want to dive in on that one? <laughs> I feel like my first response is a pie in the sky response. That's why I was thinking. Yeah. I mean, my first response was, well, I, it, we're, we do ministry without a budget. So if we start from there, Christians in the world, you know, without a lot of money, ministry, ministry, mm -hmm. is, pe ministry is people, yeah. ministry is prayer, ministry is presence, ministry is God's word. Uh, so I, I don't, yeah, that could be made trite, but I do think we have to start back there. Like, okay, our Lord Jesus ministered to people and didn't have a lot of money. And, his, and so our ministry isn't gone. And I think that's what's been said already in the presentation tonight. Our ministry isn't gone. So we do have to start there. Uh, otherwise, the enemy can have a field day with us and tell us the sky is falling and all is lost. And it's, and it's not. What might be lost is a particular way of doing ministry. It, it, it might be the organization that I didn't want to see go away, uh, but maybe it will, or the way it functioned. But the ministry itself it, it can't be chained. You know, the Apostle Paul there telling us that in prison, that um, the gospel's not hindered. We are. We feel it, but the gospel's not. So that could be said in a very trite way, but I think we do have to start there <laughs> to gird our hope and then, and then come at the hard work. Okay, kind of like if we were going to preach a sermon and we had 10 minutes. What do we have to make? If I got 10 minutes, what's the, what's the most important thing I want to make sure they hear? And I guess we're put in that kind of a situation. If I got 50% of my budget, what is the most essential thing I can't let go of? Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Something like that. Those are prayerful, heart, heart-wrenching kinds of questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think it, it means more sacrifice. It means more sacrifice. Uh, a lot of our budget goes on community outreach things. Uh, we're in the uh, we're in the inner city, and we we try to do quite a few social. Um, we do some things to help socially in our community to um, um, assist and aid people who are struggling financially. And so we um, so a lot of our budget goes towards that. But in some tough times, it has meant meant that we have to sacrifice a little more and do things in a way that might be a little more difficult. So, for example. Um, Instead of, you know, it's, more, it's convenient to go buy up a, a few boxes of $5 hot and ready Little Caesars pizza to pass out to kids. But when it's a little more challenging financially, then maybe that means you're going to have to make up some peanut butter jelly sandwiches. Uh, it takes more time and effort, but nevertheless, it's, uh, it just means that there's more sacrifice that has to go into the work. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, just coming off of Pentecost, um, and once again, not to sound trite, as Zach was saying, but uh, I, I think every situation, we're constantly asking, Lord, what are you doing here? Um, Spirit revealed to us, what's, what's happening here? And we've lost 50% of our budget. Are you calling us to something different what and, and i think that's you know the the beautiful work of the session and the and the first <clears throat> priority of the session is to discern the mind of christ to the best of their ability and once again at risk of sounding trite um and and i know folks in my church label me as the eternal optimist but but honestly asking wow it looks like we're really low on budget could the lord be doing a new work amongst us That's always a good question, and always, even if you have lots of money <laughs> um, and lots of resources, uh, that keeps you on the edge, I think, yeah. Good. Okay. Uh, Ed, someone asked uh, for the title of that book again that you uh, were referring to. Uh, yes, it's called Small Strong Congregations. Small Strong Congregations. Okay. And the author, the author is Callahan. Keenan is the first name, K-E-N-N-O-N. Looks like Kenan, but I, I've heard it pronounced Keenan. Small, strong congregations. About 20, or 20 years old, but it's, uh, very, it's, it's good stuff. It's one of my favorite books on, the, on ministry in the small church. Good. All right. So uh, questions, anyone out there that's listening? Uh, Something you wanted to ask, uh, you can kick around here. Um, and uh, while we're waiting, um, how, Doug, you also brought up the idea of shifting from inputs to outputs as the metric. Um, and uh, we, I think historically, well, recent history, we have really focused on the inputs in, in the church. Um, and uh, that gets into the nickels and noses and all the rest of that. Um, are, are there ways in which we can shift that thinking intentionally? I mean, do, what, are, what are some of the con- conversations that we might have that could move us and move our congregations from 
you know, how, how much is coming in and who's sitting uh, in the services on a Sunday, any particular Sunday, to those outputs, to, to measuring that rather than, than those inputs that we've traditionally done? That's a great question because um, every congregation is going to be different, but I can tell you one of my approaches in the beginning was uh, stop, stop counting the number of people who are in your service and uh, stop the weekly uh, giving reports and, you know, make the question um, instead of, how much money did we get this week to simply do we have enough to continue our ministry? If the answer is yes, you don't need any more information. You don't. Um, and I've never quite understood uh, wh why we need to count the number of people who are in a worship service because it tells us absolutely nothing. It tells us how many people were in attendance. It doesn't give us, it, I mean, it's probably one of the most useless figures I can think of in terms of church vitality. But there is this sense, this feeling, I guess it is, that if there's lots of people, then you got good stuff going on. But that's a terrible leap in, in uh, judgment. It really is. Because um, there's a lot of churches with tons of people in attendance that are not gospel oriented and don't have much going on besides amusing themselves. So it, it, let's just, you know, that's, a, I'm sorry, cynical, but a, a, an honest approach. So. To, to move the other direction, what I found is that nobody is against, or nobody, um, against is not the right word, no one's hesitant to say, oh, goodness, yes, outputs, let's, let's, measure, um, uh, let's measure how the gospel is actually doing work in our community or in the lives of our people. If polled, no one says, no, we can't, we can't measure that. The hesitancy is, how do we do that? Because nickels and noses fit neatly on a spreadsheet, but how the gospel is working in our people, does, there's no spreadsheet for that. Um, so I, th I think it's just a, a, a gradual training to say, listen, uh, we have got to be about asking the question, what has God done in your life this week that made, last, make, made this week different from last? How is the promise and the hope of the gospel of Christ made a difference in your marriage, in your workplace, in your community, with your neighbors, with your family members. And um, you don't put those on paper, but you begin, to, you begin to get a sense of whether or not your ministries are being effective and there's vitality in your church. Um, so I think some of it is just the, um, uh, the, the difficulty in measuring outputs. And so people say, I, how, do we, how do we even do that? So we're, we're not going to do that. Let's go back to measuring people and finances because that's easy. Um, and so we, we've just got to change that conversation and, and begin to say, let's not only emphasize the outcomes, but let's be diligent about um, how we can measure them. And what you'll find is that um, a desire to measure them makes you more acutely aware of where your shortfalls might be or where your where the holes are in your ministry. So it, it's very helpful. It really is, but mm -hmm. hard. Mm -hmm. yeah. We've put, um, I mean, you can put, you can put uh, statements. 
that you organize your the ministry around like we have six statements from Jesus's words come and see you know ask seek and knock follow me abide with me love as I have loved uh, go and make and and those statements are are not um, you can't measure them monetarily and so they put you into a different realm of questions or another practical way of saying it is when if you're gonna if you're in a situation in which you're gonna say we wanna we wanna multiply our home groups we have one home group and by the end of this year we want three uh, if you can add a word instead of we want to multiply home groups from one to three if you add a, a word we we want to multiply soul nourishing home groups from one to three or we want to multiply sustainable home groups or um, wh whatever word you know uh, Jesus saturated home groups and if whatever whatever that word is you put in there introduces new questions into the system if you just say I want to multiply one to three then the only question you have to ask is did we go from one to three God's on the move we're successful no we didn't something's wrong God's not on the move whatever but if you go from one to three like we were just talking about what is the experience of the people in that home group? Uh, and so that leads you then to look for a scripture passage that uh, highlights the qualities you're praying for to be worked out in that thing. So, so say on a Sunday morning, when people come on a Sunday morning, we think of that as come and see. I'm not trying to talk about attractional versus not attractional and all that stuff. I'm just saying we're thinking of it that way. And, uh, and so we have that verse, uh, those verses from our Lord Jesus, where it says, when the crowds came, uh, he welcomed them, he spoke the kingdom of God to them, and he healed them. And so we take those three things and we say, okay, however many people are coming on Sunday morning, our question is, are they experiencing the welcome of Jesus? Which means we have to define that. Uh, are they experiencing the teaching of the kingdom of God? Which means we have to know what that means. And are they experiencing healing? Now, we can't heal like Jesus healed. But are they experiencing the compassion for, the, for their afflictions that they would experience if they were in the presence of Jesus? And now we have those three measurables that um, regardless of how many people come, those are the three measurables we're trying to teach our volunteers, pray, pray for, and that's a way we can now, we can still measure that outcome. It's just, um, in that more qualitative way, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know that uh, when I was working in the quality world, uh, we ran into the, a, a scenario where we had to uh, shift the way we're thinking and come up with those kinds of questions and really think hard about, about it differently than we did before in terms of getting uh, uh, in the quality world, you just like in the church, you know, you, you do surveys and you want to know, you know, are people happy with your product and all the rest of that. And, and we, we were measuring the wrong thing. We were measuring responses from our customers rather than taking it a step deeper, looking at it from a different point of view and saying, well, probably a better metric is how many return customers do we actually have? 
and and we could measure that, you know, and it, it was an indication of, oh, people have confidence in our product and all the rest of that. So it just takes some work to, to think of those kinds of things like you were talking about, Zach. Uh, others want to jump in on that at all? I know this is going to sound really simple, um, but I think one of the greatest metrics that the church has is, is testimony and finding ways to, to incorporate testimony in, into your worship service. Uh, and I know, you know, that can sound really intimidating, especially in a Presbyterian worship service. <laughs> but I, I know for us, one of the things we, we've done is uh, about once a month um, during our prayers of the people, I'll, I'll just start it with saying, hey, what has God been doing in your life that would edify this church right now? Can you tell us a story? What's he doing? Um, some of the most amazing things I never knew about come out in those moments and it deeply edifies our church, but it also gives the session myself an understanding of, okay, this is where God's moving in our church right now. We can see it with that person. We can see it with that person. Yeah, good. That's good. Yeah. Uh, there was one question. We're going to shift gears just slightly here. There was a question. Um, so worst case scenario in our scenario planning uh, is that the church actually has to close or merge because of the financial impact of the, of the pandemic. Um, and in some of the cases of those who are listening and, and many of the, you know, the 80% churches uh, in the world, uh, they may not have a, a like-minded or theologically uh, affiliated church within a reasonable distance, okay? Yeah. So um, any thoughts on, and I'm, I'm at a loss, uh, I, the question was, how do you look at it if you want to stay EPC-like, or if, if you approached another church and, and tried to have a conversation about, hey, you know, we're in a situation where we just have to close up and still maintain, you know, uh, some sense of, of being connected uh, to the tradition. So um, that could likely be a scenario for many churches. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a couple of different ways to look at that. Um, it, it is a very difficult situation, but on the one hand, you can combine with another congregation to simply share expenses without necessarily sharing uh, theological underpinnings or even worship services, but you're, you're coming together to lower your overhead. And that's not, that's a different kind of joining congregations than it is um, necessarily combining <laughs> congregations. So um, I remember when I lived in Michigan, there was a, there was a church that I would pass by and I cannot remember the name of it, but on the sign, it said, um, one church, six congregations. So they had figured out a way in that particular facility to house six different churches. And there is no way that they were all of, of theological like-mindedness. So that, that's just a case of figuring out how to lower overhead expenses by sharing a building or and, and sharing, you know, expenses. The other is more difficult in that you're, you're probably not, if you're looking for like-minded and there's nothing in, in the area, you're probably going to have to think more in terms of moving to a house church type of, of scenario or a, or a distributed type of church, which is 
more difficult on, on the pastor for sure, because um, that definitely requires some sort of bivocational um, uh, endeavor. And it, it also could mean, uh, you know, moving from house to house and having two, maybe three worship services during the course of a week in smaller context. Um, but like you, Roy, that I that's a that's a tough nut to crack. But that's the first things that I'm thinking of. Uh, there, there are stories of successful mergers, uh, yeah, where where uh, vitality increases. Uh, unfortunately, the more common story is uh, when you put one plus one together, it usually equals less than two. Uh, sometimes it even equals less than one. Uh, but uh, again, that's uh, yeah, many, many, many reasons for that. And there are some good success stories. Uh, but I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, are we, uh, is there like-mindedness? Is, uh, is there a good vision? I, I was, uh, when I pastored a small congregation in uh, Tucson, we had a very successful uh, church sharing arrangement. We shared with a Messianic Jewish congregation. Uh, they worship Saturday, we worship Sunday. Uh, so and it was it worked out very well. Mm -hmm. But yeah, mergers are another, that's a very, very different animal. Uh, it was close to one not long ago that it was definitely one plus one definitely did not equal two. It may have equaled one point one. Yeah. I suppose too, and then I, there's one more uh, uh, question uh, before we wrap up. Um, I was thinking too that it, it may be, and, and this is hard because we are all EPC folks here. Um, it may be hard, but we, we may need to think if, if that comes, if it comes to that, mm -hmm. to think more in terms of, uh, of kingdom than mm -hmm. EPC. And um, that may be a, a, a tough choice, but something that needs to to be considered. So, uh, so one one last question. Uh, the in terms of the finances, you know, I know that no, many of us in the past, and even when I pastored, when uh, finances were getting a little sketchy, uh, we were always challenged to to preach more on giving. You know, to do the stewardship uh, uh, thing, and um, so the question is, uh, we, we haven't talked about that tonight. How do you feel during this time? Uh, do you feel like that would be an appropriate approach uh, to trying to make sure that the finances stay uh, in order? I think one of the, one of the challenges there is to uh, think through ahead of time who the people are in the, that you're serving and you know, as a pastor, I don't know who gives, but uh, to have a sense with your leadership team, who are, are is uh, the problem is giving is down. Is that problem because people have money and they're not giving it? Or is it because people are giving what they have They're And it's just, they're stretched. And if that would change the approach. So if people are already giving what they can, then we wouldn't want to, you know, we wouldn't want to relate to them as if they're not being faithful. And uh, 
So anyway, trying to discern what kind of category the congregation is would be important before we uh, approach that, I think. All right. Well, we're coming up on the end of our time, and uh, I, I hope this has been edifying and encouraging to you. Uh, a difficult topic, but some great things. I think one of the, the big takeaways, of course, is to engage in that scenario planning, and it's not too late to do that, even though many of us are starting to get into that phase of, of opening up again and trying to see. I will tell you this, um, talking to one of my staff members today, who is also an executive pastor at a church, uh, they opened up last week, and after all of the concerns and, and emails and phone calls of people saying, you know, we got to open the church up and all the rest of that, this is a church of 400, and they did all the preparations, and they had 40 people. Um, so uh, phase two, phase one was trying to stay alive during the pandemic, during the blizzard. Phase two in the winter uh, it may be more difficult for us. And I don't want to be a Debbie Downer here, but um, I think we need to be prepared uh, for the fact that uh, our expectations need to be very, very realistic going forward. So um, do the scenario planning, engage now, and uh, we'll, uh, and I think that the fundamental thing is that, as Doug brought out at the beginning, is how do we maintain our focus on the Lord? and not on the circumstances. So uh, we hope that you'll join us next week. Uh, we're gonna talk about the technological piece, the tech challenge, its use, purpose, and value for the future, since we've all been engaged in that for the last three months and had to uh, learn quickly and, and deeply of that. I also wanna encourage you, uh, pastors, teaching elders, if you're not a member of uh, either the EPC Pastors Facebook page or the Pastors of Small EPC Churches Facebook page. Uh, they exist. You can apply to become a part of that. It's moderated, both of them, and uh, they're great resources for conversations and to continue these kinds of, of uh, discussions. So uh, hopefully we'll see you next week, next Thursday. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for the team, and uh, we'll see you later. <laughs>